From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. Happy New Year, listeners. Thank you for coming back. We're having our first CQ on Congress podcast today, and we're very excited you're joining us. Congress has returned, and two new senators have taken their seats, both Democrats, Tina Smith from Minnesota and Doug Jones. Jones' win in last month's Alabama special election narrowed the Republican majority in the Senate to 51 to 49. My guest today is Roll Call Senate reporter Niels Lesniewski, who will explain what this means for the Republicans in control of Congress and President Donald Trump. Welcome, Niels. It's good to be back. So, Niels, how much harder does it get for Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell now that his majority is just one? Well, where this is going to be really complicating matters, uh, perhaps for Mitch McConnell and, and the Senate Republicans, is going to be on the nomination uh, front. You know, a 52-48 Senate uh, doesn't give you a lot of wiggle room either when it comes to legislating, particularly on anything that would need 60 votes anyway to overcome a filibuster. But the way the rules are set up on nominations, it's it's clear that uh, every every vote really does count. And, and the, the possibility, particularly given that there are two Republican senators, uh, Thad Cochran, the chairman of the Appropriations Committee, uh, and John McCain, of course, the Armed Services chairman, who have had a lot of absences for, for health challenges lately. There's probably scenarios that are going to play out where those two gentlemen are, are unable to make it in for votes. And by the virtue of their absence, the Republicans lose. Now they're at a point with it being 5149 that if, yeah, and if they have two absences, then they're. They can so lose to speak. one and Mike Pence breaks the tie, the vice president. Right, but it's different if you have if you have absences because then you don't even have a tie to to contend with. You just have a a fifty to forty nine uh, Senate, and then if you have a fifty to forty nine Senate and you lose one vote, then you're you're done. Well, if Cochran and McCain are both absent, say you're at forty nine to forty nine, Pence can still break ties in those instances, but right. they can't afford to lose a single senator. That's right, and and so that's where this is going to get really tricky. Is uh, trying to confirm uh, a Trump nominees and whether uh, the Democrats, to sort of flip it to the other side, the other question will be whether or not uh, the Democrats uh, are, are sort of more tightly bound together even than they have been lately. Uh, and some of that is going to come down to the, the folks like Doug Jones, uh, the new senator, uh, and whether or not they're going to be inclined to vote for some of President Trump's nominees or, or not. Okay, so and the context here, of course, is that the rules in the Senate for confirming executive branch nominees, people to hold jobs in the executive agencies, and federal judges, more importantly, require only a majority. The filibuster is not allowed in those instances, and it, and also the the filling the judiciary has been, apart from the tax bill, perhaps uh, this Congress's biggest achievement so far. I mean, is it that fair to say? I, I think that's absolutely fair to say. And as we as we look ahead, the agenda for, for January already sets up to be, uh, at least until we have to uh, see Congress once again uh, on the verge of a government shutdown and, and all those things that we're going to have come January the 19th, 
Other than that, uh, it looks like the Senate's activity is primarily going to be confirming a mix of executive and judicial nominees. I, I think there's a whole batch of federal judges that are lined up for the coming week. Okay, so this raises the question, what kind of senator is Doug Jones going to be? He's a Democrat, but he represents Alabama, a very conservative Republican state. He'll have to face re-election in two years, right, because um, he won a special election. He didn't win a full six-year term. So he perhaps he'll work with the Republicans more than other Democrats? That seems plausible, uh, but it's also, it's also going to be an interesting... Uh, uh, thing to watch because because Jones is in some ways not um, he doesn't seem to be at least the way his resume is to be a sort of old Southern Democrat in the way that there were Democrats who existed in the Deep South for many many years uh, Richard Shelby actually the the other senator um, from Alabama comes to mind as someone who was a Democrat until he switched to the the Republican Party while already a senator. Uh, Jones does not seem to be sort of that kind of of Democrat. Uh, so he in we had some of those guys in the House for a long time too, and he doesn't seem like one of them. He so, relied very heavily on the black vote in Alabama. I understand he's named a, a black person as his chief of staff. And he's most famous for prosecuting the killers of girls who were killed during the civil rights period at a church bombing. That's right. And and the other thing is that he he worked in the in the Justice Department, uh, I believe, during the Clinton, uh, Bill Clinton's administration. Eric Holder was actually in the chamber for the swearing-in uh, ceremony for for Mr. Jones the other day who was the attorney general, of course, for many years under uh, Barack Obama. So definitely not a Dixiecrat of yore. No. And, but uh, we have a few other uh, Democrats in the Senate who represent Republican-leaning states, Joe Manchin in West Virginia, Heidi Heitkamp in North Dakota, Joe Donnelly in Indiana. And they have occasionally voted for some of Donald Trump's nominees and judicial appointments. Right, and so there there may well be some some more of that on the the, the less uh, controversial uh, appointees, uh, and a lot of the Trump nominees have really not been that controversial. There's been a lot of sort of people who you would typically expect to see nominated by a Republican president. Uh, there have been some outliers, but by and large, it's been. I think, by and large, the, the routine nominees have been fairly routine. Looking at the legislative piece, uh, if we're thinking about that, that may be the place where the real opportunity is uh, if you are Heidkamp or Manchin or, or Jones or Donnelly uh, to sort of side with the, the Republicans. We know that's going to happen probably when Mitch McConnell calls up uh, a Dodd-Frank uh, revision bill to, to revise the, the financial regulatory overhaul from early in the Obama administration, uh, that bill, which uh, Mike Crapo, the, the banking committee chairman, uh, helped spearhead, had a whole bunch of re- uh, Republican and Democratic support on the committee. Uh, and McConnell said before Christmas that it already had 60 supporters, which need is 60. the magic number. It'll need 60, yeah. 
What else is on the agenda in terms of uh, policy? It's an election year, which typically means a slowdown in lawmaking. Um, is there anything big that we're expecting? Well, so the, the, the sort of still mythical Trump infrastructure plan is the one that everyone seems to sort of be waiting for, whether or not uh, the that pivot, uh, so to speak, now that the, the tax uh, overhaul uh, is done, signed into law, and we're actually into the first tax year, uh, that that's an effect. Infrastructure is believed to be the, the next big one that Trump wants to do. Uh, but it's uh, it's entirely unclear whether or not there's any appetite among Republicans, particularly in the House, for what might be perceived as a big spending package. Right. And how could they do a big spending package just after passing a tax bill that increases the deficit? That's the, the question is where do they tighten the belt? Because I can't think of anywhere offhand where if if. Uh, if, if Speaker Ryan or, or someone in the House, um, uh, Bill Schuster, the congressman from Pennsylvania who chairs the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, who just announced he wants to do an infrastructure package, but then he's retiring. Um, I don't see where they they find any money in cuts that is going to be amenable to Chuck Schumer and the Democrats in the Senate. I, I don't see how you... You manage to do both of those things at the same time. And party leaders, of course, are still immersed in talks about finalizing the spending legislation for fiscal 2018, which is now months overdue. And we're not expecting any cuts there. I mean, in fact, we're thinking there will be increases uh, raising the caps on spending and defense and, and on domestic priorities as well. Yeah, the, the debate seems to be, at least in terms of the caps, on whether or not you have to raise an equal dollar amount in, in domestic discretionary spending as you do on the defense side. So, you know, this, this parity principle that, that uh, the Democrats have pushed for for, for the last several years that, that McConnell and Ryan have certainly been trying to break uh, with, with maybe some success. Uh, but in any case, you're talking about increasing spending on both sides of the ledger. There's no one saying that, well, maybe we won't increase domestic spending as much as we expand the Pentagon budget is not the same as saying we're going to cut spending anywhere. Let's turn to Obamacare. I mean, that that was a, a failure last year, the effort to repeal and replace Obamacare. There was a provision in the tax law that rescinds one part of Obamacare, which is the requirement that everyone buy insurance or pay a tax penalty, might the Congress return to Obamacare again? That's a much easier question if you're a House Republican than a Senate Republican. If you're a House Republican leader, you say, yes, absolutely. Repealing Obamacare is something we've been running on for years, and it's something we still want to do. If you're a Senate Republican, you're looking at the math, and you're realizing that you have 51 Republican senators— and so even if you went through reconciliation, you can't do it because we already learned that John McCain, Lisa Murkowski, and Susan Collins are um, not on board or right. have not been on and board. reconciliation, so now, of course, is the process that would allow them to do it with only 50 votes. Right. Now, even if you somehow manage to convince, let's just say, let's just say that they managed to do something to the... Oh, I don't know, the the Indian Health Service that helped Lisa Murkowski get on board because of all the Alaska natives uh, that need health care. Uh, 
you still would have McCain and Collins. You've your your right. your your math has gotten more difficult. You can't pick off one of the three anymore. Well, that raises a question. What about the legislation that Patty Murray, the Democrat from Washington, and Lamar Alexander, the Republican from Tennessee, were preparing? which was going to shore up the Obamacare marketplaces, and which have been struggling and, and losing insurers and losing subscribers. Well, the initial thought had been that that would have been in the uh, end of the calendar year spending package, at the end of uh, December of 2017. Uh, Susan Collins, who was one of the people who was pushing for that, Republican of Maine, uh, and... and, and Alexander and others basically said, okay, we can push this off into the the bigger spending debate in 2018. But so now that is bollocksed up in presumably an omnibus spending bill to fund the government for the balance of the year. But of course, as as our uh, colleagues on the budget and appropriations team at CQ have have been reporting uh, and my sources have been saying as well, there ain't no way there's going to be an uh, omnibus spending bill that can be written by January 19th. So if we're getting into February or That's March... That's the spending bill currently expires. They'd have to push it back again. Right. And so there's no way. There's, there's you know, at some point in time, when does Alexander Murray get done? Does it keep getting pushed off into this omnibus that begins to get more of a myth? Okay. So what about... Um the Deferred Action Program for the immigrants, the the youth immigrants who President Obama had given them a relief from deportation. And President Trump says he's getting rid of the program unless Congress passes a law to continue it. Now, some had had wanted uh, some relief for them by year end. It didn't happen. That's another one that we're going to be looking at towards this, this presumed March deadline. And all of this is just getting bollocks together and backed up further and further. And, and frankly, you know, we're, we're getting to the point where it's going to be February or early March before we even have an omnibus. OK, Neil. So as part of the year end tax legislation that passed, some of the Republican senators put conditions on it. Collins said she wanted the Murray Alexander bill passed to shore up Obamacare. Jeff Flake said he wanted the deferred action program taken care of. How, how rock solid were the guarantees that they got? Everything is is clear as mud at this point in time because we we believe that Flake's guarantee says that if a bill can be agreed upon that Donald Trump will sign into law, it will get on the Senate floor. Well, that's a caveat because first they need to figure out something that both Dick Durbin and Donald Trump will agree on on immigration. Right. Dick Durbin being the liberal senator from Illinois. Who has uh, sponsored the DREAM Act for longer than most people can remember what the DREAM Act was, the the legislation regarding the... the, the um, to protect the immigrants. To protect right? the immigrants and the, the young people who came to this country as, as children without papers. Uh, but then... You know, in the Collins guarantee, at some point in time, the marketplaces uh, get into more trouble. Uh, that's when when her check will come due. I think I don't know if it comes due on the first right. CR. If we but start if, seeing the marketplaces fall apart, and if we start, you know, if we if you start hearing from insurance companies in Maine saying they're not going to do business in Maine anymore, then all of a sudden, I think that that Senator Collins will be will be uh, uh, much more vocal. 
Okay. Last last bit for you, Niels. I'm, I'm wondering about the other senator, new senator. Let's not ignore her, Tina Smith. She takes over the seat from Al Franken, who resigned after he was accused by several women of sexual harassment. Tina Smith is a Democrat from Minnesota. Is she uh, expected to be similar to Franken in terms of their approach to being senator? You know, I think that there will be there will probably be a lot of similarities in terms of uh, voting record for for Franken and Smith. Smith uh, has been the lieutenant governor under Mark Dayton, who himself used to be a, a senator from Minnesota. Uh, what we've heard about Smith is that she's she's had a particular focus on, among other issues, rural broadband and the expansion of rural broadband in states like Minnesota. Uh, so she may well be someone who wants to be involved in the Agriculture Committee and rural development and those sorts of issues, which, you know, there is a farm bill coming up, so who knows, but that would be a good, uh, might be a good fit for her. Uh, but I don't expect to see too many surprises out of Senator Smith. All right, we'll keep an eye on it. Thanks, Niels, for coming on the show. Thank you. I'm Sean Zeller. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One. And for more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at RollCall. 